live from Liverpool, the dark paranormal, season four. Hi everyone and welcome back to the dark paranormal. First I'd like to say thank you to everyone who reached out following last week's episode, The Terror of Hellfire Farm. It's always great to receive your emails of any sort to the email address thedarkparanormal at hotmail.com and I'd like to say thank you to all of the positive feedback that came through. This week we're going to take a look at a paranormal phenomena that started on eBay and has ended up in the heights of Hollywood, a hotly disputed and highly debated item of alleged mystical Jewish folklore. And, who knows, it could well be an object that's hidden away in your very basement, with you completely unaware of what resides within. But before we deal with today's true paranormal experience, I need to say a quick thank you to our Patreons. If you want to support the show and allow the show to continue, you can join our flourishing Patreon community. Head over to patreon.com forward slash thedarkparanormal. Not only will you receive these episodes before anyone else, you also receive a Patreon-only show every week called Dark Bites. This show even runs in between seasons, so you never miss your Dark Paranormal fix. So a big hello and thank you to the newest members of our Dark Paranormal Patreon community. And they are Phil Cariocci, Jessica Dawes, Martin Dyson, Kurt Haberkamp, Cindy Flores, Jim Mails, Andrea Wiss, Nikki, Aries67, Patrick Fardell, Matt Mayle, Alison Yates, Elaine Harold, J.S., Becca Garvin, Rachel Daly, and Jennifer Ewing. Thank you guys, and welcome to the Dark Paranormal Patreon community. Don't forget, head over to patreon.com forward slash thedarkparanormal. Now, there are few items, in fact none, which spring to mind, that have had the same dramatic an exponential impact as the item we're going to discuss on today's show. It wasn't too long ago that if you mentioned this item, no one would be aware what you're talking about. However, now, rightly or wrongly, you can find hundreds of videos on YouTube of individuals, rightly or wrongly, toying around with the object in question. And so... Lower the lights, leave your disbelief at the door, and join me as we take a look at the true story behind the film The Possession and the object known as the Dybbuk Box. His interests, well, stuff, quirky stuff, antique paraphernalia that you just don't get these days. Like wooden shoehorns, for example. Can you believe there was a time you would need an appliance just to put on a shoe? This was the type of thing Kevin Manis liked to stumble upon. Flea markets. They were a treasure trove to find the items that people 
kept in the back of some dingy basement for decades. And then they would stick a $5 tag on them and throw them on a knock-together stall. He owned an antique and curio store in Oregon and was always on the lookout for the bazaar. The truly bizarre he sometimes kept for himself. It was good to have your hobby as your occupation. So, one autumn evening, whilst walking a different route home, Kevin smiled as he saw a sign in the garden of a nice suburban street, advertising an estate sale. It was the usual tables of bric-a-brac, old paintings, some cast-iron candlesticks, a birdcage long since abandoned by its feathered host. Ah, well, that's different. Kevin walked over to take a better look at the strange-looking mahogany wine box. It was intricately carved, clearly by hand. As ever, it was the detail and painstaking work that went into items like this that appealed to Kevin. Twenty dollars. Well, considering I'd probably spend that in a week on coffee, this seems to be a great buy. Excuse me, he said to the young boy manning the table. Would you take fifteen dollars for the box? Ever the haggler. However, the boy was clearly new to how things worked. He lifted the label and shook his head. No, it says twenty dollars. Oh, of course, said Kevin letting this misunderstanding slip and passing over the cash. He picked it up. It was lighter than he assumed and looked around for space to place it down whilst he put his wallet away and prepared to set off. Placing it on a nearby table, he heard, Hi there, from behind. A woman in her mid-twenties came over and extended her hand, which Kevin reached out to shake. I'm Maria. I'm running the sale. Oh, there's some great stuff here, replied Kevin. Are you trying to raise some extra cash? No, no, it's my grandmother, Havella. She died recently, so it's kind of an estate sale. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that, tutted Kevin. Oh, don't be. She had an excellent run. She was 103. She was a strong Polish woman. She was the only one from her family to survive the concentration camps in World War II. She fled to Spain and then made her home here. Maria tapped the wine box and apprehensively said, I see you've bought the Dybbuk box. The what? You mean this wine box? Maria smiled. Dybbuk box. It was one of the only possessions she brought with her to America. She kept it out of reach and said it should never be opened. When we would ask what was in it, she would say a dibbik and a keslim, and she would then spit three times through her fingers. Kevin looked at the box a touch more warily now. He liked an item with a good backstory, of course. That was part of the charm. But this was a little over the normality line. And what the heck's a dibbik box? asked Kevin. Maria shook her head and then said, I'm unsure, but Grandmother said we were never to open the box, lest we want a world of trouble. Kevin was becoming more and more unsure of this purchase now. 
I mean, rationally, it could just be one of those things adults say to kids. You know, to keep them out of mischief. However, Kevin didn't get that sense. Maria continued. Actually, and I don't mean to freak you out, Grandmother wanted to be buried with it, as she said that it meant that it would be gone forever. But Jewish customs forbid it, she said, stroking the box thoughtfully. Well, this was the final straw for Kevin. Hell, he was just out to get some interesting quirky items, not carry away some dark family heirloom. Uh, Listen, maybe you should keep this. It sounds like you and your family are all still deeply attached to it, and I'm just here try. No, Maria interrupted sharply. No, not at all. You've bought it now. The transaction's been done. You're the true owner of it now. Kevin thought maybe the emotion of selling her recently dead grandmother's things might be taking its toll on Maria, especially after that reaction. No, honestly, Maria... Keep the money. As you said, it's it's one of those things she came here with. I couldn't in good faith. No, shouted Maria again. Maria started getting upset. Although not out and out bawling, tears began escaping from her eyes and rolling down her cheeks. The type of tears that escape despite your best efforts. You agreed a price. The deal is made. The box is yours. Maria wiped her eyes and quickly walked off, leaving Kevin left forcing a smile to the many eyes drawn to him after this little scene. I'll just take my box, he smiled to the judging onlookers, before picking up what he now knew as a Dybbuk box and awkwardly walking away. Kevin returned to his shop that evening and placed the box in the basement on his own. In the dim basement... Maria's words of never open the box ran through his mind. However, Kevin planned on fixing this old thing up and giving it to his mother, so he knew that the box would have to be opened. Looking around the dim basement and getting that chill you sometimes get when alone, he decided that task could wait for the morning, so locked up and headed home. The next day, Kevin was met by Lisa outside the store. She'd worked for him for two years and could basically run the place blindfolded. So it was as usual that Kevin would let her get set up and then head out to one of his favourite furniture thrift stores. Some of the bargains he would find at these places were the best source of his income. Occasionally, he would find an item that required zero work and literally just add $100 to what he paid for it and it would sell within a week. Strange how everything boils down to perception, he thought. He caught sight of a lovely antique dresser and was about to lowball the salesperson when his phone rang. It was Lisa, and she was panicked. Kev, Kev, someone's in the basement. I don't know how they've got in as no one went past me, but they're smashing the place up. Kevin told her to hang up and dial 911 immediately. He ran from the thrift store and tore out of the parking lot. Twenty minutes later, he met Lisa outside. The police are on their way, but the smashing's only just stopped, so they're still down there. Now, Kevin was not a big guy, but he 
was also not afraid of taking on someone who was trying to sabotage his business. Creeping into the store, he grabbed the baseball bat he kept behind the counter and slowly made his way down the stairs. A foul smell, like cat urine, made him reach to cover his nose. He could see the basement was in pitch darkness, meaning whatever was there was now hidden in the shadows. He reached for the torch above the doorway and, turning it on, headed in. A quick left and right of the flashlight had Kevin scratching his head. No one was down here. All of his workbenches were flush against each wall, leaving the open square area completely empty. Ergo, hiding spaces were non-existent. He'd done a slower double sweep. Definitely no one down here. His renovation equipment, though, hammers, planes, chisels, were all thrown around the area. Basically, anything that wasn't nailed down had been flung about the place. He stepped forward. The crunch under his feet explained why the place was in darkness. Every bulb in the basement had blown. Even the ten-foot-long fluorescent tubes that lit up each side were shattered the entire floor being one big dusting of broken glass. And there, in the middle of the centre workbench, seemingly untouched by the carnage, was the Dybbuk box. Although at that time, Kevin didn't see any correlation. The event shook Lisa up to the point that she resigned on the spot, and therefore, Kevin had to spend much more time at the store until he found a replacement. To pass the time, and as he decided to gift the wine cabinet to his mother for her birthday, Kevin decided he would renovate the box, so retrieved it from the basement. He set it up on the counter, and for the first time had a detailed look at the object. Also for the first time, he would open the box. As he opened the left door, A hidden mechanism opened the right door and the two small drawers underneath at the same time. The contents were not what you would expect for a wine box. Kevin pulled each one out. Two 1920s US pennies. A lock of blonde hair bound with string. A lock of black hair bound in the same way. A dried rosebud. A golden wine cup and a strange-looking black cast-iron candlestick with the legs of an octopus, and also a granite chalice with gilded Hebrew lettering spelling out the word Shalom. Placing these confusing items to one side, he began to polish and wax the box, when he noticed a recessed image carved into the back panel. He could tell it was a religious symbol, but he could also tell it had a purpose, a power of sorts. He pushed these thoughts to the back of his mind and finished the refurb of the box. Oh yes, I do like that. I know where I'll put it too, smiled Ida, Kevin's mother, as he handed her the wine box. I thought you'd like it, Mum, said Kevin, as he headed out to the kitchen to make some coffee. Ida studied the box, its intricate carvings, 
This was a special piece, she thought, as she pulled at the little handle on the door. The mechanism sprung to life, opening the other door and the two drawers at the same time. A small, cold gust seemed to come out of the box, and Ida felt it blow across her face. Kevin was stood waiting for his coffee to brew. He hadn't had any new applicants for Lisa's role. Maybe he should just do it all himself. He had the work ethic. He had the... Something's wrong with Mum, came his sister Sarah's voice from the front room. Kevin ran back into his mother. She was sat in a chair with the Dybbuk box next to her. Her face was frozen. Mum? Mum, what's wrong? But Ida couldn't reply. Tears began rolling down her expressionless cheeks. Ida had suffered a severe stroke. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, Place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. The next day, Kevin visited his mother in hospital. The doctors informed him that although her hearing and understanding of words was unaffected, his mother's ability to speak was severely impacted, as was her general movement. Kevin entered his mother's room. His sister was already there. She smiled and hugged him, and then explained that she'd brought an alphabet board for Ida to communicate through, and that Ida had explained, despite of everything, she was okay. Kevin sat on the bed and asked how his mother was doing. Ida's face was still expressionless. This time, though, her look seemed intentional. So much so, it unsettled Kevin as he lifted the alphabet board for her to reply. Ida lifted her right hand slowly and, using her finger, touched the letters N, O, G. I. F. T. Thinking she was somehow confused due to the stroke, Kevin reminded her that he'd bought the wine box for her. Ida rose her finger to the board again. H. A. T. E. G. I. F. T. Something sank in Kevin's chest that strange, uncomfortable feeling that he'd started to associate with the box was now growing larger and more alarming. However, with his sick mother laid out in a hospital bed, he just smiled and said, OK, OK, I'll get you a new gift when you get out of here. Outside the hospital, his sister Sarah saw the funny side 
I can't believe, even in this state, she's dissing your present. Kevin laughed along and shook his head. I know, the neck on that woman. I guess I'll just put it in the trash. No, don't do that, said Sarah. It's quite cute. I'll take it. It'll look good on my dresser. Kevin had no idea why, but he felt guilty to his core. The following Sunday, Sarah came into the shop. Hey, I didn't know you were in the neighbourhood, began Kevin, as he finished serving a customer. Well, I was passing through. So, I've given the wine box to Neil. Neil was Kevin and Sarah's younger brother. See, the doors on the damn thing kept opening by themselves. I don't know if there's a broken mechanism or something. Kevin got a chill. He'd fully refurbished the box, and he knew just how sturdy the doors were. They actually took some effort to open. Really? he asked. Yeah, so I went round to Neil's through the week. Well, would you believe that? said Sarah, looking out of the window. In the car park, Neil was getting out of his pickup truck. Neil's just pulled up, said Sarah. Kevin joined Sarah at the window as they watched Neil walk around to the passenger side and pull something out of the seat. It was the Dybbuk box. The bell sounded as Neil walked into the shop. Well, well, full-on family reunion, he smiled, placing the Dybbuk box on the counter. Um, you can have this back, he said, tapping it with his fingers. You can't smell it now, but my God, when you come down in the morning, the living room stinks of cat piss. And it's coming from that, he said, nodding towards the box. Sarah laughed. And I bet the doors were opening on themselves too, she said. No, the doors have stayed shut. But God, that smell. Ain't no way it's staying in the house a minute longer. Kevin's internal alarm was sounding. The box, once again, was in his possession. After the siblings left, Kevin gave the box yet another polish and placed it pride of place in the shop window, hoping its unique style would catch someone's eye in the same way it had caught his. His luck was in as the very next day an elderly couple entered the store and took an immediate interest in the box. A polite, you have a great eye, later, and the box was finally out of Kevin's life, for a tidy little profit too. The next day, the shop, and indeed Kevin, felt lighter and brighter. A good day of over-average sales buoyed his good mood, and that evening, for the first time in a while, Kevin had a peaceful sleep. The next morning, Kevin walked briskly towards the store, fiddling with the keys in his pocket to locate the shutter key, when, placed on the step of the stall, was the Dybbuk box, a note taped to one of the doors. We cannot keep this item. It has a bad energy. We don't want a refund. The word don't underlined three times. Kevin took the box home, at a loss at what to do next with the seemingly cursed object. He shoved it in a cupboard and tried to forget about it. That night, Kevin had a disturbing nightmare. 
In the dream, he was walking with a close friend of his, laughing and taking in the scenery, when his friend began staring into his eyes. Kevin didn't know why, but he began to be filled with dread and fear. He knew, despite looking at the face of a friend, that this being was evil, demonic. As if realising Kevin's realisation, the friend suddenly began to change. The face became crooked, angled, their spine became arched. The friend slowly turned into an old, terrifying hag, and the hag lunged at Kevin, clawing, biting, tearing at his hair and his arms, all the while with a manic expression on its twisted face. Kevin woke up, panting in a cold sweat. His arms were covered in bruises, his hair tender as if forcefully pulled. He lay shivering, too terrified to fall back asleep. A few days later, Kevin had Sarah and Neil and their families around for dinner. After dinner, as the drinks flowed, Sarah made an off-the-cuff remark about how she'd finally stopped having nightmares now the spooky box was out of the house. Before Kevin could question this, Neil's wife spoke. I had nightmares whilst the box was in our house, she said with a very serious face. Kevin interjected. As long as it wasn't a crazy hag coming after you, he said with a forced smile. Sarah put her hand to her mouth. Neil's wife grabbed at her husband's arm. Yes, they said in unison. This revelation at the family dinner seemed to escalate the happenings in Kevin's home. Shadow people would whisper away into the side rooms. Fire alarms would just ring out, despite there never being a fire, nor smoke. Just the smell of cat urine each and every time. One evening, whilst trying to research the box, Kevin fell asleep at the computer screen. He awoke due to the heavy breathing at his neck and turned just in time to see a giant black mass float silently away into the kitchen. Kevin had had enough. He would destroy the box, but now had become convinced there was a paranormal power attached to it, and he didn't know whether that action would release the spirit forever in his home. Therefore, he decided to give a full and frank description of the events and list the box for sale on eBay. At least with full disclosure, he could sleep guilt-free in passing it on. The winning bid was $140 and was won by college student Losef Nitska. Nitska was intrigued by the tale attached to the box, but was far from a believer in the paranormal. However, over the next eight months, the Dybbuk box made a believer out of him. Within days of bringing the box into the shared accommodation he lived in, two housemates began experiencing burning of the eyes, as if a chemical had been sprayed at them, despite sleeping in different rooms. Another, formerly energetic and exercise-mad housemate, said he felt as if something had ripped the energy from his soul. Dead rodents would appear in the room the Dybbuk box was stored, and when the box was moved, freshly dead rodents would appear in the new room. 
One September morning in 2003, he and his housemates found the doors and drawers of the Dybbuk box had opened by themselves overnight. The following days, the outside of the house was surrounded by a fog of flying insects, seemingly drawn to the house, trying to invade through any open window or door. Electrical items began to malfunction. The TV would turn itself on and off over and over again. Clocks and watches in the house all stopped working. One by one, his housemates gave their notice until Losif was the only tenant. From here, he became the sole focus. Laying in bed one night, he heard the unmistakable sound of glass breaking repeatedly. First from the living room, then each individual bedroom, then the landing outside his room. He waited in terrified silence, holding a sheet up to his face. The light bulb in his room shattered, showering him in shards of broken glass. Quickly getting dressed and going to check, he found every bulb in the house had exploded, every step crunching glass under his feet. However, things would escalate even more when Losef began seeing shadows in the corner of his vision and the smell, the overpowering smell of ammonia. Losef became ill with a mystery disease. Just months after purchasing the Dibbit box, the previously healthy 20-year-old student had lost weight until he was almost skeletal. It was then his hair started to fall out in large clumps. He decided he would take the same route as Kevin Manis and, inclusive of full disclosure of the terror the box had brought him, listed the Dybbuk box on eBay once more. Jason Haxton, a museum curator with an interest in religious artefacts, thought the item would make a perfect addition to the museum's collection, and so purchased the box for $280, displaying it in a section of the museum which specialised in religious curios. A female colleague was drawn in by the intricate carvings on the box, and smiling as she came over, said, One hell of a find you've got there, Jason. Jason smiled. Yeah, oh, and be careful. It's haunted, he joked, wiggling his fingers in the air. The colleague touched the box and vomited uncontrollably. Jason jumped up in shock and helped the colleague to the staff room. She was pale and sweating. Get it out of here, she mumbled in between sips of water. Get it out of here. Now Jason was a man of science, and therefore, when his manager asked him to remove the box the next day, Jason thought she was joking. No, Jason, I'm serious. I know what it looks like, but she's refusing to come to work whilst that's still here. And so, begrudgingly, Jason took the Dybbuk box home. Jason took a bath that night, thinking over and over how unreasonable the whole affair was. He had a little niggly cough that started, he thought, with the steam from the bath. However, the cough got stronger and stronger, so much so that he began to panic as he struggled for breath. Then something came from his chest to his mouth, and he found himself coughing out a thick, black mucus into the bath. 
Jason didn't smoke. He'd had no previous symptoms, but somehow this thick black sludge was coming from him. He jumped out of the bath and pressed himself against the wall, shaking and staring at the bath water. His wife knocked on the bathroom door. He was convinced she was going to ask if he was okay after hearing the coughing fit. Instead, through the door, she said, There's a horrible smell coming from downstairs, from that box you've brought home. It's like cat piss. Jason's rational world started to fall down around him. With his museum connections in the world of religion, Jason confided in a rabbi about the Dybbuk box. The deeply concerned rabbi advised that as the Dybbuk was attached to the box, the box itself would need to be placed in a blessed box made of acacia wood lined with gold. The once rational Jason Haxton found himself creating this magical box to contain the Dybbuk within. And apparently, it worked. Because after constructing the box and placing the Dybbuk box inside, all paranormal activity ceased. Jason, now due to the story going viral, was questioned about the box's location. However, he refused to divulge the location. He also refused to sell the box to anyone who inquired. It would appear one man's offer for the box was enough to not only test, but to break Jason's resolve. Celebrity paranormal presenter Zach Bagans, known for making extraordinary offers for supposed paranormal items, made an undisclosed offer to Jason to take ownership of the allegedly cursed box. Jason accepted the offer, and the infamous box, and its Dybbuk inhabitant, now reside in a military-grade protective box within Zach Bagan's paranormal museum. Apparently, though, it's as dangerous as ever. I end this week's story by saying the Dybbuk box apparently remains dangerous due to a story you may well have heard. American musician Post Malone was a guest of Zach Bagan's at the Paranormal Museum. When they got round to the Dybbuk box, Zach Bagan's reached out and touched the box, and Post Malone touched Zach Bagan's. Apparently, that's all it takes to be cursed, such is the power of the Dybbuk, because from there, the rapper was involved in a plane emergency when two tyres of his private jet blew out on the runway. A few days later, his house was reportedly broken into by gun-toting invaders. And a week after that, he was involved in a car crash when his Rolls-Royce collided with another car. Of course, the run of bad luck could literally just be coincidence. And we need to ask ourselves just why Zach Bagans seemed to be immune to the Dybbuk's curse. Separately, we also need to bear in mind that although the Dybbuk is definitely 100% a part of Jewish historical folklore, the idea of a Dybbuk box apparently only came into being around the mid-90s. Although again, this is hotly debated and disputed. And so here we'll leave our look at the mysterious Dybbuk box. As I say, if you venture onto YouTube, you will find many brave or foolish 
people who are ordering Dybbuk boxes from eBay and elsewhere, and then opening them alone in their house. Take a look and let me know what you think. Thank you for joining me again this week. And remember, when you're discussing the supernatural, always leave your disbelief at the door. And I'll see you next time on The Dark Paranormal. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the King of Sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.